Hello and welcome to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast, a podcast where we discuss all things relating to your well-being, ranging from nutrition to physical and mental health. I am Amanda Hayes, your host, a nutritionist with a passion for well-being. Before I introduce today's guest, I will take a moment to let you know that you can subscribe to my podcast on YouTube, hit the red subscribe button, or on your favorite podcast app, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. I will also mention that although I will often be speaking with experts, any information or advice provided in Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast is not intended to be used to treat, cure, or prevent injuries or medical conditions and it is not a substitute for advice from your own health professionals. Today I am here with Caroline Weber. Caroline started her professional career in the book publishing industry. She's held several positions in Sydney and London including with HarperCollins and then returned to Adelaide where she established a publishing company Inc Publishing. In 2016, Caroline started working towards a significant career change. She studied a Bachelor of Psychology and followed that with a Master's of Counselling and Psychotherapy. So hi Caroline. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. So I'd like to start the conversation by asking you about your career change from the publishing industry to becoming a um, counsellor and psychotherapist. What inspired you sorry, to study psychology and psychotherapy? I suppose it probably started with a chance encounter at a dinner party where somebody asked me you know, what I was doing. And uh, I'd been in publishing for a long time and I suppose looking for a bit of a change. Um, I'd done everything in publishing that I wanted to do. I worked for some very good companies. I had probably seen um, every problem that a book could go through. <laughs> I didn't, uh, I didn't feel there's anything more I wanted to do with publishing and um, most of my roles in publishing was actually dealing with other people. I worked with a lot of European publishers, a lot of Asian publishers, so kind of had to, you know, nuances about personality. Mm. So it seemed a kind of a natural fit. I've always been curious about people. So the switch um, in my mind was actually sort of fairly logical. I'd, I'd always been working with people around publishing, although books were the focus. And I thought I'm interested in people, so I put sort of formalise it and do some sort of study. Okay. That's what it came about. And why uh, psychology? Why not um, any other form of therapy? I suppose um, I was quite intrigued. It sort of came at a time where I was quite interested in the brain. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of behaviours that we have that are completely beyond our control. And I guess I was sort of just, you know, discovering that and sort of quite intrigued by that. So I think there was sort of, uh, I was interested in, in our, and our brain responses in personality at that point. So I thought that's what intrigued me particularly about psychology. And had you done some reading uh, about that kind of thing before you started studying? Yeah, I had, uh, Mm. only because a family member had um, been diagnosed with OCD, which I didn't know much about. Right. And kind of the brain, you know, the way the way brain behave, behaves, I found particularly interesting. So, yeah. And you studied that one at Adelaide? No, Uni SA. Uni SA. Was that an on-campus or an off-campus? Uh, it was a bit of both. Yeah. Yeah, they try to get you on campus a bit, which um, I have to say uh, is a better way of studying, I think, to be yeah. face-to-face. Yeah. yeah, I think so. You're more engaged, I expect, yeah, if you're yeah. on campus. In terms of making the career switch, was it difficult? leaving something you knew so well 
No, I think, um, like I said before, I was probably a bit uh, ready to move on mm. from publishing and it was actually really invigorating. It was really stimulating and I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so no, it wasn't a wrench. No. no, it sounded like from what you've said that you were actually ready. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it sounded like perhaps you were almost a little bit bored in the publishing yeah, industry yeah, I'd or seen pretty you know i had been really lucky I'd had a really yeah. I'd worked for great publishers and I you know there wasn't a problem I hadn't seen I wasn't being challenged I suppose right it was time to, yeah, time to engage your brain again that's how I felt. Exactly. yes yeah. so now you're working in the area of adolescent mental health and can you tell us something about some of the issues that you confront um, we work uh, with 12 to 25 year olds so it can vary you know depending on the age of the child so if the child's younger the the presentations will usually be around school bullying um, trouble at school um, maybe being precluded from school mm-hmm. uh, those sorts of behaviors and then you get into the mid-teens where they might be having trouble with family because they're naturally wanting to sort of become independent and they're being held back for whatever reasons you know parenting you know uh, not being able to get to sports because they don't have cars that sort of thing um, and then the older ones that you can be around work stress mm-hmm. around not being able to find work um, money be able to support themselves so kind of each of those age groups will have their own kind of challenges with the younger children um, for example who are experiencing bullying do other parents involved in this um, in the services you offer at all uh, yes, generally, the ch- if the children come in uh, and, there's quite, and they're quite young, uh, you always have to really work with the families. Yeah. Um, when a child is in the home, they're very um, constrained by what their pa- the parents' choices in life are. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I'll always start um, with a child, what they're eating, what they're sleeping, you know, what their sleeping patterns, and a lot of that's dictated if they're very young by their parents. Yes, of course. So um, I would always involve a parent in with a younger child yeah particularly if there's sort of like their sleeping routines a bit out and they're not eating right. properly which can yeah. lead to behavioral issues in yes school. Yeah. i guess that can be a, i'm sure a fairly delicate area to deal with when you're asking the parents to change their behaviors as well that's right yeah, yeah. and it's, that can be a bit sounds a bit critical so you've got to be very careful yes. you're not judging yeah. them you're just making suggestions yes i guess that's part of your training though isn't it knowing how to deliver those messages to people that's a big part of it yeah, yeah that's right mm. yeah. and with the adolescent children do you see any uh, drug related problems or alcohol abuse uh, interestingly it's part of the community but the young people coming into headspace which is where I work um the children are quite particular that they are quite against it oh that's it very interesting to hear yeah is it because they want a life that's different from perhaps what they've witnessed generally that's it Mm. yeah that's the position they take they've either had family members um they've seen it in them that they don't want to replicate Mm. I'd say that's the majority yeah they've seen they just don't want to just to have that sort of destruction in their lives. Well, wow, that's actually really yeah, heartwarming to hear. It is, isn't yeah, it? Because of, yeah. you don't really hear those positive things reported in the media. It's more about 
how things go wrong. Yes, that's so, right. Yeah, mm. so there's, I feel quite inspired when I'm with them. I think it's really good news too. Oh, that's good. And what about uh, gaming? Is that something that causes issues, social issues, yeah. addiction? I'm not sure. Yeah, particularly with the younger um, uh, younger people, um, I think particularly if they're having social anxiety or they're struggling at school, autism tends to sort of um, help them... Um, it can either sort of keep them at home and disconnected mm-hmm. if it's not used properly. But I have noticed children with autism, it can often be a way of them actually having quite a nice social group around gaming um, as long as it's managed and it doesn't take over. But it can actually be quite a positive thing for some Yeah, children. so I've actually seen that with a friend as well, um, with uh, one of her children. Mm. It's been... Um, really positive for him it's how he's made his friends yeah yeah mm. and they'll often go and talk to you know look forward to going and talking to their friends and they'll often talk yeah. you know quite openly about what's probably you know a problem for them you know mm. online which is a nice thing for them oh that's good mm. and the next thing i wanted to ask you about is how do you deal with some of those issues like what what are some of the tools that you give to patients or mm. clients clients well probably all of them I'd always start with you the first meeting is um, really getting to know them 80% of psychiatrists psychologists no matter who the therapist is 80% is the relationship and if you right. haven't got a good relationship uh, you're not going to get very far mm-hmm. we do have to yeah, ask them quite invasive questions um, in the first session so you've got to kind of balance that with you know kind of getting to know them without sounding to that you're interrogating them but I always ask about um, eating, exercise, and sleeping. Because if you haven't got any of those foundation things, mm-hmm. it's very hard to, to to build on any kind of um, sort of therapy. So I always start with that, and then depending on the personality, it might take a long time to get to know them, um, get them to trust you. So it's really just getting that established first, and right. that's the most important thing. So I imagine that it varies in time with different clients different so, problems that's yes. right that's right because once they do open up you're in a really you've they've got to trust you and a lot of these young people have huge trust issues they've been let down by various systems family right um so once you've got that they've invited you into a really mm. kind of precious place so you've really got to be very respectful of that yeah absolutely it's quite a privilege to have that relationship that's how i see mm. it yeah they've opened up um to a stranger often yes um, that's incredibly challenging if we can imagine ourselves doing that it's a really huge yes thing to do. but in some ways it might be easier because it's someone a bit removed from their day-to-day life yes i think that does mm. help i think also i think with younger people particularly young teens from 12 sort of to 14, there's quite a, um, uh, as an adult, you have a fair amount of power that you've got to be very respectful about because you can ask them questions and they feel probably obliged to answer you. Right. So you've got to be very respectful that you're not... um, Stepping Stepping over boundaries or... Letting them have the voice. So that's that's a real juggling act too. I guess that would also be part of your training, was it, to work out how to elicit those answers and often they that will be the first people that ever ask their opinion about a problem that they're right having. most people try to sort of strike teachers or parents mm. will try and straighten it out and maybe lecture them mm-hmm. um, so we might actually be asking questions that nobody's ever asked right. before so it will take them a couple of sessions to kind of get used to that challenging mm. change in dynamic and kind of be able to think and offer their opinions yes and if you come across a client that has none of the basics you mentioned, the sleep, the exercise and the good nutrition, do you have to start from that point? Yeah, I think you do. Yeah. Um, 
I saw a young lady the other day who wasn't sleeping at all, and when I asked her what she was eating, she said nothing. Oh, dear. So, yeah, so until you've got those things um, sorted out, so we went through, you know, you've got to eat, and we sorted out some sleeping. She did really well. Often suggest she goes to the GP and maybe get a rundown with, you know, sort of, you know, just some sort of basic health stuff. So we're often yeah. bringing GPs to, to make sure that that young person's, you know, Yes, because if she, if she's not eating properly, she could have iron deficiencies or all sorts of we things. We quite yeah. often ask for that to be checked mm. out, particularly if they're sleeping too much, which can be yeah. a sign of depression, but it could be just a sign that they mm. need to, to get some of yeah, those Yeah, it's a bit of a maze, I imagine. Yeah, you bet you, you're a bit of a social worker, GP, yes. you know, referrer, um, just a basic screen, yeah. Yes. You definitely have to do that early on. And then um, I think it would be interesting for our listeners to understand a little bit about the difference between psychotherapy so that's what Caroline does and psychology because even I didn't quite appreciate the difference I asked Caroline a few questions and had some of the terms a bit mixed up so (laughs) perhaps Caroline can set me and anyone who else needs to know uh, set us straight. Well psychotherapy is quite a well understood um uh, discipline, I suppose, uh, in US, in the US, and in Europe, but not quite so well known here. So the distinction between a psychotherapist and psychologist is probably where people get um, mm. sort of tripped up. So a psychologist um, uh, will do um, advanced training in sort of diagnostic and looking for symptoms. So they'll they'll have right. their client and they'll be looking for symptomology. It's kind mm-hmm. of a very medical model. Um, uh, we need psychologists because they're trained to do, you know, specific tr- uh, screenings for things like autism, um, some of the sort of more serious mental health issues. So they will often also be trained um, in how to work with clients, but not quite so much in the kind of counselling right. space. So they will be looking for symptoms. Mm-hmm. They will do a lot of screening, that sort of thing, with um, questionnaires, that sort of thing. Right. So quite... Uh, orientated around writing cognitive you know kind of western Mm -hmm. ways of thinking and a diagnostic sort of approach yeah so Mm. you might and they work with the dsm-5 which is a manual yes Um, yeah so they would be yeah it's very kind of um manualized treatments as well um whereas psychotherapists we would tend to um look at the person's presentation and go back deeper into their lives that could be causing those problems right so we would um, uh, not look for symptoms. No. Uh, though we are mindful of those because we would refer to a clinical psychologist if we thought that this mm. child needed to be screened for autism, for example. Right. We would refer to them. Um, but if they are just acting out at school and they're uh, angry, we would be looking perhaps around um, social anxiety, what is causing that, and maybe working with the family to see you know, what behaviours, you know, uh, the right. result of these things happening in their lives. That's, we will go yeah. deeper into their lives. Right. Now, that's very interesting, actually. It looks like you're finding the root of the causes. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah that would be a good way of describing it. And um, and trying to work around solving that. Yes. Um, rather than saying you've got ADHD mm. these are your symptoms, you know, you might go into a medication right. for that. Right. The ADHD... It might be because they're they're not sleeping at night because a parent is coming in and unloading mm. their troubles in the middle of the night on that child and the child is is sleep deprived and yes. anxious when they're getting to school they're acting out 
that sort mm. of thing. And that's not uncommon. I, and I imagine a lot of those um, problems and symptoms and things are all interlinked anyway. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 No, it does sound like it's quite a difficult area to, you know, you need to tread lightly in some ways. You need to, you're a bit of a, yeah, it's a yeah. bit like, I find it a bit like um, being a um, sort of, you're, you're a bit of a kind of investigator, but you're sort of yes. putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Mm. And if you don't understand something, you've got to keep going until you fully understand it. Yes. Yeah. So you've got to be quite persistent. You do. Yeah. And you have to think quite creatively. And young people, um, well, actually, probably everybody, um, can probably have blind spots to what's actually going on so you've got to be attuned to that they might not be able to articulate yes. something but you've got to sort of be able to kind of see something that perhaps they're missing and i point. imagine also it might take a few sessions for you to get to the real i guess the bottom of the problem or the nitty-gritty because people are often ashamed of problems that they have themselves yeah, and don't want yeah. to talk about yeah. it so it takes a while to yes to bring that out and, and everybody's very uh they people when something works for them for example if you you're anxious and you don't like public speaking is a good one um most people would just avoid it yes and if that's working for you you'll keep doing it even though mm. you know that it's you know probably not the best way to go so people can get very very stuck on really unhelpful behaviors and um, and sometimes it needs to be pointed out that it's unhelpful, even though it works for them. Yes, I guess. And if no one else around them is doing it, it's um, it's up to you, I, I Yeah, I well, that's right. Yeah. And trying to gently kind of... The other role of psychotherapy is not to be so much uh, guiding them in, in, in the solution, but actually helping them to find it within themselves. Right. To find that solution for themselves. And that works on their strengths and their the skills they already possess mm -hmm. and also trying to obviously sort of guide them into other skills that might sort of open up that, that awareness and sort of. And so I know you haven't been working for too long in this area, but have you seen some successful outcomes? Um, is it something that, is it an ongoing relationship that lasts for years or I guess that depends very much on the problem, doesn't well, it? It does a bit. I saw a um, young lady yesterday who, um, uh, when we last met was quite distressed things had shifted in her family again she's quite young so you know it was around her mother uh, was feeling a lot better around a quite a severe mental illness she was a lot happier so we kind of agreed that perhaps maybe seeing each other monthly in case you know she needed a bit of a, ha a hand yes which is what we decided to do so I will always sort of uh, agree with that young person mm -hmm. Um, how often, uh, you know, we recommend that we meet up and kind of what our objective will be. And then when they look like they're doing well, we'll, you know, put it on pause because they're busy, they're at yeah. school or at uni or whatever. Um, give them a chance to kind of negotiate what they think they need. Mm. And they seem pretty clear about what they find right. helpful. Mm. And I guess it's um, ultimately it's empowering the person yeah. to have Well, that's, yeah, I think that's really tools. important. Mm. Yeah. And in fact, if they don't feel empowered, they're not going to really engage. So mm. know, it's very much about them controlling it. Mm. And so in terms of, um, I guess, mental health issues, especially with adolescents, can you give our listeners any tips on maybe some signs? It's, it's probably a really broad question, actually, I'm thinking as I ask it. But perhaps things to look out for in young people if they're struggling. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think with adolescents, a lot of it can just be normal adolescent behaviour. But um, withdrawing would probably mm -hmm. be something that might sort of ring an alarm bell. 
Um, change in behaviours can be, it might be suddenly not sleeping terribly well, not wanting to eat, mm-hmm. not showering, you know, and I can probably hear other parents <laughs> or teenagers say, Not showering, that's, just about that's normal, wanted. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so, but I think changes, and I think probably just have the courage to ask if there's something um, that you're not sure about, just, you know, just ask, you know, respectfully. Yes. Um, and if they do say they're not feeling great, um, maybe don't launch in with a lecture. Just, you know, <laughs> just listen. I think listening is so important. Oh, yeah. And you'll be surprised what they'll say. Mm. And uh, moving on from that, because Caroline's had an interesting career, she's also given countless hours of her time as a volunteer at Meals on Wheels. I think you were there for, what, 16 years or something? Oh, yeah, or, yeah, I'm not sure. Long? I sort of lost track. Yeah, yeah. It, just, it just sort of rolled on. But so no, what did that. you do there? I can't remember my title. But I would coordinate the drivers. Right. So um, I would, uh, we were delivering to about 100 people a day. Uh, we would have uh, maybe four drivers and four deliverers. So I'd just make sure everybody... Um, was coming and if they weren't yeah. able to drive that we would have drivers um, in place and I would be the one if there was ever a bit of a um, incident which did happen mm-hmm. uh, with older people sometimes they'd be found on the floor oh, or dear. that sort of thing yeah. so I would go and sort of help the help, um, yeah. help or liaise with the family and importantly I think with Meals on Wheels if uh, we can't raise an older person and because the deliverers um, are fairly regular on that route they'll get to know the behaviours of mm-hmm. the people they're delivering to so if anything seemed a bit out of place mm-hmm. or doors left open that was unusual or the house wasn't locked uh, properly or you know, it was different we would then contact relatives and say look it right. doesn't seem right or we couldn't find them and we would certainly never just leave them so, right yeah so there was quite a lot around that yeah oh wow and and the mo- the meals were they cooked in the uh, office or not office the in the, yeah, the kitchen yeah. yeah so they they cooked um all calorie controlled um, for the for the older age group. Mm-hmm. So that was um, uh, three courses, and um, the specialist meals, which I think it was low sodium and gluten free, tend to be done by a commercial kitchen, right? Which is also a meals yeah. facility. And then they we would do also frozen meals, which would have been done by the commercial professional, and they're frozen appropriately, and then they would be delivered so people could put them in their freezers too. Oh, it's a great service. It's been around for a long time, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's a really yeah. good service. And I think for a lot of families it was a way of sort of keeping kind of a um, – just making sure that somebody was going in each day or yes. Thursday and, um, you know, if, if mum wasn't answering the door, we often – if they weren't well, we'd be ringing the relatives saying, look, you know, she just didn't seem that well today or something like that, so – yeah, so yeah, keeping it's a, an eye it's a on them. Little, yeah, little red flag service as well. Yes. And were the people working there mainly volunteers? Uh, everybody. Everybody. Yeah, there's a head yeah. office that does the accounting and, and the kind of mm-hmm. that, that sort of corporate work, but no, everybody. No, it's a volunteer. great thing to do, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's a really good organisation. Yeah. And finally, finally, Caroline, the question that I like to ask all my guests, if you could recommend two things that all people could do to improve their well-being, what would they be? Well, probably, um, well, exercise, diet and sleep would obviously be um, get those things under control. Um, I would say if if there's an emotion that's unpleasant, look at it and understand it mm-hmm. uh, there's got to be a reason for it and I think if you're doing something so I think this is three that's uh, okay. <laughs> if you're doing if you if you're doing something that's working for you keep doing it and if yes. it's not working for you stop doing it but keep doing what works you know so 
that would be my advice. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming on Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And that was Caroline Weber. You can subscribe to Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button and while you're there, click on the bell to be alerted when new episodes are available. You can also subscribe on your favourite podcast app, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify or Google Podcasts. And you can follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Direct links to all social media can be found on the subscribe page of my website at www.amandaswellbeingpodcast.com. If you would like to contact me, you can send me a message via the contacts page on my website. Please feel free to suggest topics you'd like to learn more about and people you'd like to hear interviewed, and I'll do my best to deliver that to you. Producing the podcast is a labour of love. We put in a lot of time, money and effort behind the scenes. So if you enjoy Amanda's Wellbeing Podcast and would like to make a contribution via Patreon, PayPal or by Amazon to help ensure we continue to provide you with excellent content, please visit the Contribute page on my website. Also and finally, please take a minute to leave a rating on iTunes. It improves visibility and will help me source some excellent guests. Thank you very much for tuning in. Eat well, move well, think well.